Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. It's day five of this Qatar World Cup, and this edition comes from the poolside. We are here at Rafa Honigstein and James Horncastle's beautiful villa. We are reflecting fittingly on some of the big guns too. Germany, Spain, Brazil, Belgium, and let's not forget about England as well. Looking ahead to that game against the USA with David Ornstein too. I'm Adam Leventhal, and this is the Athletic Football Podcast. That's a good touch. Asano still going. Oh, my word. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. There's not going to be another upset, is there? Oh, talk to me about the run. What's Schiller doing on the right-hand side? I can't believe he's positioned and playing him on side. But it's brilliant. Absolutely sensational. So we're here by the pool. Um, This feels good, I think. Last night for you... Raf, I wouldn't have thought felt particularly good with Germany. The, the, the headline of your piece, what the hell happened? Have you got the answers? I think so, but uh, just to say it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel any better this morning. If anything, it feels maybe worse. A lot of Germany players were talking yesterday, and the big takeaway was that, that there were many reasons why a game that they had controlled, that they felt was almost theirs, slipped away in a catastrophic fashion. People were pointing at uh, missed chances up front. They should have been a lot more, more efficient, more ruthless. Dare I say, you know, all the German stereotypes weren't, in sh- weren't on show on Wednesday night. Uh, the defending, at least for the second goal, was absolutely comical. And in between, what happened was that they lost their way a little bit. Japan pushed up a bit. They put them under pressure and you'd expect Germany to pass through them and stay calm. But they actually, little by little lost control through wayward passing through some people not showing up as Gunnar put it very critically Manuel Neuer said there wasn't enough movement and Neuer and Gunnar even seemed sort of to question the quality of some of the players on the pitch which shows you in my view that the big takeaway was that this team realized in a very painful way that they can't fully trust each other and that bodes really badly for for Sunday. This is more than a wake-up call. This feels a little bit more like we're heading towards the, the first team meltdown. Or, 
or is that not the case? Yeah, it's definitely more uh, of a wake-up call. I think it's waking up and finding that the house is already on fire. And then what can you do? Maybe not much. The fact that it is Spain, not a more amenable opponent in the second round. The fact that Spain come into this on a, on a real high. It's really set up for, for Germany to get knocked out on Sunday. And I'm pretty pessimistic. I'm hoping that they will find some sense of confidence, but it's hard to know where it's coming from when some of the doubts seem to be so fundamental. We are by the pool and Raf has yet to have a dip since we've been here. He might not get that chance. So, but I think it was quite interesting what you were saying about the players talking a lot after the game. I was at Argentina, Saudi Arabia. All of the players walked through the mix zone They didn't want to speak to the media. The only one who did was Messi. Messi basically took responsibility, took accountability, spoke to the rights holders, but also to the written press for about five minutes. And they kind of closed ranks, whereas it felt like you got <laughs> a bit yeah. of everything from all of, the, all of the Germans who played part of that last night. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people stopped. Müller stopped, Kimmich stopped, Neuer stopped. Goretzka stopped. Gundogan was the most critical, maybe because he'd actually been the best player until he had to come off and then he saw the whole thing unfold from, from the bench. And I think at some level he must have felt, you know, what, what am I doing here on the bench when you can see what's going on? Of course, he refrained from criticizing Flick directly. He says he was asked about why he was taken off. If he had any explanation, he said, no, the coach doesn't owe me an explanation. It's not a problem. But I think to compound everything we talked about... Yeah. Flick also didn't help his team by taking off Gundogan and taking off Musiala, who were Germany's two best players. And by the end of the game, they had Füllkrug up front and Mukoku. Both had never played for Germany before in a competitive game. They had Mario Götze, who hadn't played for Germany in five years, and just all looked a bit desperate and a bit shambolic. Is Miroslav Klose not, not uh, available? available. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke to him before before the World Cup and he is in great shape but no he loves his fishing does he close. so yeah when he was Lazio striker he would go off to Lago Bracciano where Tom Cruise got married and he would just fish some freshwater trout um, so don't know if that's keeping him in shape that's Raph. yeah it's maybe that's the reason why he stayed away from Qatar because I don't not, think there's much not great fishing fishing <laughs> yeah. prove us wrong from, point of view Raf, on this German situation and we'll talk about the, the off the field which obviously then transcends on, on field with the armbands and the protests and stuff in a moment's time but did you see this coming was this was this building were, were there tensions coming into the tournament or is this just like ah right this is just set fire straight away I don't think you can say it was coming there were question marks about the fullback positions and it had an effect on the game because Sula played out wide as a very safe option but then that necessitated Schlotterbeck coming in as a center back and he looked anything but safe in my view and he hadn't hadn't played well but no and as Müller said you know if you if Germany win this game which they easily can then you'll find a lot of good things that they've done in this game so it wasn't as if they were bad throughout yeah is almost as if they threw it away from a position of strength, which then makes it worse in my view, because it's basically the admission or the realization that you weren't beaten by somebody else. You beat yourself. And when you do that, then you start looking, you know, why? Why did this happen? Then you start thinking, okay, this guy did that. And why didn't we do this? And this is almost worse than getting beaten by a side that's just a little bit better than you or sort of edge you out or whatever. This this is Germany auto-destructing. Are we in danger, James, of getting too focused on on the big guns and not giving the credit to the other sides like 
Japan, like Saudi Arabia, you saw in action against Argentina in a very similar situation, coming from behind and, and winning 2-1? I think it's only natural um, because just being in Doha for 48 hours, if you drive into the capital on the skyscrapers there you see these big awnings uh, which depict Mbappe, Messi, uh, the stars of the tournament and so you're naturally drawn to the star power um, that there is here. I mean for the last 12 years this whole tournament has been built around that. You think of the Qataris investment in Paris Saint-Germain, who have they signed? Messi, Neymar, Mbappe, the three stars of the tournament they're expected to be and so yeah I think in some respects the attention hasn't fallen on Japan going into the tournament. It hasn't fallen on Saudi Arabia despite how outrageously handsome Hervé Renard is. Um, but for me, I mean, the Argentina-Saudi Arabia game was the first one that I reported on uh, since I got here. And you really saw how a crowd can help turn a game. You know, we saw Matt Slater's piece kind of traveling with the Saudi Arabia fans across the border to the game in Lusail. And when Messi gave Argentina the lead, the Argentina fans there, they were happy about it, but it was almost like they were expecting it. Whereas when Saudi Arabia equalized, the fans there were not expecting it. They couldn't believe it. You really felt the jubilation that they were experiencing. And for five minutes, they really believed and they helped generate more momentum for the team, which led to the second goal. And, and so that was a great experience to be here to see that, um, to see how home advantage almost can help Saudi Arabia. I mean, not in a, it wouldn't help Japan, but certainly Saudi Arabia in this tournament. And I don't think you really appreciate that unless you're, you're here to feel the noise, so to speak. That was not a plug for one of your books, Raf. It should have been, yeah. not. <laughs> In terms of, you know, another side, you, you were last night at the, at, at the final game of the day between Belgium and Canada. I suppose it's a similar theme, isn't it? That, you know, an underdog actually almost being given respect because they are then they have players of a higher caliber. <laughs> Why are you bulking? I'm bulking because this is different because this is Belgium actually being just bad. OK, fine. OK, fine. Whereas Germany weren't bad, but carry on. Well, Argentina weren't bad as well you know, in the first half of that game against Saudi Arabia. But let's go back to Belgium. What was surprising about that was we talk about the golden generation, how this is their last chance. There was a real lack of cohesion in the team. It looked, particularly in the final third, that they hadn't played with each other a lot. And okay, Romelu Lukaku was in the stands. He's not even on the bench at the moment. We'll have to see whether he actually plays at all for Belgium at the World Cup. But Michy Batshuayi is a player that Kevin De Bruyne is familiar with, Eden Hazard is familiar with. And okay, he scored what was the winning goal, but pretty much all of the actions from then onwards, yeah, for someone like Kevin De Bruyne, De Bruyne was embarrassed to get them out of the match award afterwards, saying, I haven't played up to my standards. Kind of, we weren't on the same wavelength. And just a kind of pattern of this World Cup is the big European teams not performing. I mean, apart from France, who fell behind against Australia and then roared back, apart from Spain, the others have really been a, a bit of a letdown. England was okay. Are you not counting them as European I anymore? I was flying, so I didn't see that. I see. So, yeah. But. I think that was another situation where maybe the, op- the opponent wasn't really up to, up to scratch. But let's not undermine England too much because we're going all the way. <sighs> OK, we'll come on to England uh, in a moment's time. But back on to Belgium against Canada. Let's get the, uh, the take of Joshua Cloak from a Canadian perspective. 
So if there were any questions coming into Canada's first World Cup game in 36 years as to how this team would perform when the lights were the brightest, playing against the second-ranked team in the world in Belgium, would their high-flying, emotional, bravado-driven approach work? Canada answered those questions, not just in the first half, but with a convincing 90-minute performance that ultimately should have led to a more positive result against Belgium. Though Belgium comes away with a 1-0 victory, the advanced stats back up the fact that this is a game Canada should have won and that was the message from the players after the game as well that they're satisfied with the performance but when they're coming away with anywhere between two and a half and three expected goals depending where you look this Canadian team has to be proud of their performance and it wasn't just in the chances they created though better finishing probably would have been the difference tonight it was the physicality they showed in the tackles it was the gusto they played with It was the way they tracked back on defensive assignments. It was a team showing a will to win that most teams coming back to the World Cup stage don't usually show. And so if you're Canada, you have to feel proud of the performance, frustrated by the result, but ultimately emboldened by what can come next. If this team plays the way they did against Belgium, not backing down at all, and they embody that same style against Croatia. They have to feel better about being able to get their first ever World Cup win, score their first World Cup goal, and maybe, possibly, still getting out of the group. Game two for Canada comes against Croatia, and I think if you are Canada, you feel really, really good going into that game. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Rafa, I wanted to speak to you about the, the protest issue. What's your, what's your take on it, having seen what happened at the game? Well, I didn't see what happened at the game. 
which is the funny thing. And I think that the world broadcaster didn't pick it up either. I think the pictures came from the German cameras having been tipped off that this was happening and cutting away from the world feed in time for that. And then people t- put it on Twitter and of course the photographer all, mm. photographers all had it. But I thought as far as statements and gestures and sort of you know football protests are concerned, which always tend to be, well often tend to be a little bit naff and inauthentic this was as good as it gets it felt real talking to the players it was clear that they had talked about this themselves they'd come up with this idea and i think it sent a really good really good message the problem is when you then lose your game everything is seen through the prism of that and there were people saying well did this debate and this protest distract you they said no this can't be an excuse but the noise that actually it was quite horrible this whole thing for me because you know you find out suddenly that you can't wear the armband and where does that leave you and, and i think he personally seemed to have been a little bit put out at least by FIFA but the rest of the team just wanted to make that statement and I thought it was a a really clever genuine way to put across that message what did you think well my gut feeling is obviously there's there's been so much attention on this as an issue does it not just need someone to go yeah all right fine Okay, I'll wear it. You need someone to make a stand. That's how you change things, I don't no? Think you or can, not? No, I don't think you can expect somebody who's trained their whole life to be here to risk expulsion or... But people sacrifice, people sacrifice sometimes to, to, to make a change. No? I know, but you can't expect it of everyone. Not everyone can be a hero. I don't think that's realistic. You could have sacrificed this job to make a point, but you're not. I'm not. A lot of people are dealing with Qatar, with Saudi. They could all make lots, all sorts of moral stands, but they don't because they still have a life and they have other things to consider. I don't think we should ever expect somebody to be a hero. Yes, there are genuine heroes who risk a lot, but I don't think that should be our next natural expectations because we don't hold ourselves to the same standards. James, what's your take on it? Well, on the one hand, I agree with Rafa. On the other, I think the whole case just shows the conformity and indifference in society when it comes to taking a stand on things that people talk about it and talk about it they say the right things but when it comes to actually doing something about it they don't do it hold on a second on the athletic we had a lot of articles or at least a few saying that this whole armband is a token gesture it means nothing now that they're not wearing the armband it's like oh why aren't they taking a stand risking everything I mean make up your mind either it is meaningful and it's super important to do it or it's not you can't have it both ways I think that this has achieved more in the grand scheme of things the fact that we're talking about this the fact this is a big controversy that FIFA look in a bad light than if they've all worn it and FIFA just just turned a blind eye to it because then it would just been really token gesture no but I, I think the exceptionalism of it in that we've had this debate for a week where one FA after another has essentially pulled out of what you were saying was a very meek and tokenistic way of signaling solidarity and the Germans are the only ones who have done it and they've broken with convention and that's one of the reasons why it's powerful I think and Raf one of the German ministers was sat alongside um, Gianni Infantino which the, the German players doing the hand, uh, hand over the mouth gesture was brilliant but there was a there was a, a, a snap that I saw as well of the body language between Infantino and the, and the name of the minister was Nancy Faeser yeah interior minister you know I just I found that also quite a quite that was a gesture she was wearing the armband I, I did quite quite like that yeah she was but again it's 
you know, she's the interior minister. She doesn't have to come here and ask for the gas like the economics minister did. He wasn't wearing the armband. I wouldn't have expected him to wear the armband because Germany need that gas really badly. And uh, I'm not telling him he should take a stand for human rights. Why should I then tell Manuel Neuer to take a stand and go home from the World Cup? So I, I don't think it is reasonable to expect people to be heroes and have this totally wonderful principles and just never play anywhere or do business with anyone that is dodgy in this world. I don't think that is a good starting point for a debate. What you can do and what the Germany team are doing is to say I'm here, I am playing, but it doesn't mean that I'm turning a blind eye to what's going on and I'm going to keep talking about it. And I think that is the only thing to do. And the thing with the FAs is the problem was that this was a unified idea. This was, we're going to do this together. The moment FIFA put pressure on the first couple of captains and nations on match day and they decided, look, we can't send Harry Kane or Virgil van Dijk into this game and we don't know what's going to happen. They might get sent off. Van Dijk gets a yellow card who knows we just cannot take that risk and it's not fair as a federation to send players into that unknown then everyone had to fall into line and I don't think Germany were in a position to say okay you English you do whatever you want but we're just going to go our own way Flick talked about it I don't know if you saw but he said we had a plan we thought okay if they all give us yellow cards then we'll have a different captain every game not a problem we would have taken that but that wasn't what FIFA said FIFA said Who knows what will happen? And they were saying, maybe you get points deducted. Maybe you get a ban. And I don't think there's a duty of care from the federation. I don't think you can send such a player. No, you know, this armament is so important. You have to go out and play anyway. Yeah, okay. And it'll be interesting to see what what happens next, I guess. is this? It seems as if they're going to continue, right? Well, I don't know how many games they've got left to yeah, continue. Well, um, <laughs> the defeat puts them in a difficult position because if they don't do it for the next game or don't do anything for the next game it'll be seen as ah now it's no longer important yeah uh, if they do it and then lose then people say why well, let's you know focus on focus on the football so it is the worst possible combination and on the footballing side of things how fearful are you of of that game against Spain I think it was always a bad game it was always a game that Germany thought they might lose it was very interesting again an insight into the psychology when Thomas Müller said the Japan game was supposed to be our buffer our cushion for things to then maybe go wrong and I think he was saying well you can lose against Spain but if you get six points or even four that's probably enough now they lost that game that cushion is gone and it's become a knockout game with the distinction that a draw doesn't take you to extra time but probably straight home so obviously Spain are coming into the game with great confidence after that victory over Costa Rica 7-0 the confidence is flowing Raph for, for Spain let's, uh, let's just check out Felipe Cardenas's take on how they looked in their opening game Costa Rica just looked without any answers confused helpless throughout the night and and Spain looks like a contender suddenly I think they were sort of we weren't sure what this team would look like coming into the tournament their young side uh, no, no you know few superstars really uh, but this is a collective that I think looks very confident And seven goals in this group with Germany losing, I think, is going to be a huge, huge gift for them, for Spain, giving them a lot of confidence moving forward. Felipe Cardenas there, who was at the Altumama Stadium, uh, watching Spain 7, Costa Rica 0. James, 
we've dealt with yesterday. Today, you must be looking forward to seeing Brazil. I am. I feel great responsibility, though, uh, Adam, because uh, as someone put in my comments after the Argentina-Saudi Arabia game, I seem to curse teams. Italy are not qualified. Argentina lost their first game. Brazil plays Serbia, which is a tricky opponent, given the talent that Serbia have available to them. I would like a right of reply to that commenter, which I was covering Italy when they won the Euros, so yes, okay. it's okay. okay. Um, but... Yeah, excited for this one. I do wonder, and Chichi was talking about this in Brazil's press conference yesterday afternoon, what Argentina's defeat to Saudi Arabia does to Brazil, what Germany's defeat to Japan does to Brazil. They were talking that it's been a real source of reflection for them. Uh, I would say they've got a harder opponent, definitely, than Argentina and Germany had. And they, they have to start strong because there is so much expectation around this Brazil team. They're the bookies' favourites, but then again, it feels like Brazil are always the bookies' favourites because they've won this competition five times. But you know, given that it's 20 years now since they last won the World Cup, there is a lot of expectation. Chichi was asked about that yesterday he says look I can't bear responsibility for 20 years I've only been in charge for one World Cup and you know we went out to Belgium in that one and I was lucky enough to stay on and that makes me a better coach the experience of that knowing how to manage a major tournament like a World Cup and so so yeah it's it's going to be it's going to be very exciting to see a team that um, is probably with France and Spain the one that has the most attacking potential in the competition guys thank you very much for um, inviting us to your palatial villa we do appreciate it and uh, you're maybe, welcome to the pool we'll, party later yeah Adam. that would be great if only yeah. we could sit down somewhere but uh, hey ho will you look after Raf for me and just make sure he's his mood is lifted always yeah always so let's get into England now yesterday I was with David Ornstein at the England training camp just to gauge the mood and potential worry on Harry Kane and a couple of others we're here at the England training base just outside you may well hear the uh, air conditioning units whirring in the background it's just because it's very cool inside and it's actually a little bit nicer and a bit warmer uh, outside so we've just stepped outside David encouraging signs on on Harry Kane first of all the fact that he's not out on the grass wearing a boot he's hopefully just out on the grass running around in trainers or whatever well look when Harry Kane suffered that challenge in the 48th minute was it of the Iran game the grimace on his face and the way in which he went down and the replays of what happened to that right ankle filled England fans with fear and if England are going to go far in this tournament, they need a fit and firing Harry Kane. Then later on, um, when I saw him in the mix zone, he was walking through with some light strapping on that right ankle. I definitely noticed a visible, if minor, limp. The FA were quick to say that he was okay, that he was fine. Gareth Southgate echoing a similar message in his press conference. At training the next day, we didn't see Kane because all of those who started against Iran were indoors, but we were told he was okay. And then word got to me on Tuesday evening that actually there was concern over him and that he would be going for a scan. Adam, you don't go for a scan unless there is concern. And it could be precautionary, just to reassure you that everything's all right and try and identify if there's anything that you're not sure about so maybe that's good practice however it got people sweating the reaction was you know I really felt it from England fans on social media and a lot of people messaging me and asking me for more details including from around the England camp an injury scare 
to your key player um, in the early stages of a tournament that you want to win is is not nice. However, we came down to the training camp today and Jordan Pickford told us... Yeah, I think it's good. Um, probably be a little bit sore, but I think he's fine. He's out on the grass today with us, so that's good. And he's, a, he's our captain and I think he, he's fine, yeah. Obviously, Harry is an unbelievable player. He's, he sets the example in the squad. He's the leader, he's the captain. And we all look up to him. Um, but, yeah... There's also opportunities for the lads as well. I think we're going to have to wait until tomorrow. When we'll be back here, I'll be inside the training pitch a few yards away from us to actually see Harry Kane with our own eyes. But by comparison to somebody like James Madison, who is not on the grass, I would interpret Kane's status as being cautiously encouraging. It's not a moment now to risk him, is it? If he misses USA, the game that he really needs to play in is probably the Wales game. But at the same time, if you look at how England performed against Iran and the fact that there were strikers or attacking players that were willing to come on and they were willing to hit the ground running and they did so, it's a positive thing. Yeah, I think one thing we need to remember is that England have put themselves in a fantastic position with that Iran victory. Secondly, he didn't score Harry Kane yeah. and England have yeah. shown that although his link play was crucial his presence too is a key part of what England are trying to do they can perform well without him and that will be reassuring if there's any doubt about his fitness they're not going to risk him surely they'll save him for the Wales game or maybe even England will get the result they need against the USA Wales will become relatively irrelevant and then Kane can be reintegrated for the knockout stage the last 16 just one other person I wanted to ask you about Kyle Walker we saw him here at the England Media Centre doing some interviews walking around I'm not going to try and second guess his gait and how he looked at that moment but it appears that if he is now sort of out and talking to the media that it is heading in the right direction and his scheduled return at the end of the group stage seems to be on course. This is some good fitness news because when Kyle Walker underwent surgery on his groin in early October people around Manchester City were suggesting to me that he was a major major doubt for the World Cup and despite Walker himself expressing optimism there was quite a bit of pessimism at the Etihad Stadium. Kai will be a little bit out and we'll see the team and then the doctors we have to speak of them. Hopefully he can get it of course like Calvin so I know how important is the World Cup for the players but Honestly, I don't know right now. It's been described to me that his recovery has been miraculous, way ahead of schedule for where he should have been. Um, He has, unlike James Madison, been working with the main group out on the pitch. Um, But he hadn't played a match, so Iran was always going to come too early. Now England have beaten Iran. I don't think they need to uh, change their team, to be honest. I don't think Gareth Southgate will. Uh, Kieran Trippier's in possession of Carl Walker's right-back position. Luke Shaw at left-back means... Uh, provided he's fit you don't need to switch Kieran Trippier over to the left and bring Kyle Walker in on the right so I think I presume the plan will be to give Kyle Walker some minutes in the USA game Um, and potentially if there's going to be some rotation should England have qualified for the uh, knockout stage by the time they play Wales then maybe Walker will get a start and then he's had the perfect integration into the competition so that's a really good sign Um, I do have worries about James Madison though that must be said he's spent every single training session as far as we know indoors I think that represents a major concern I hate to say it I'm a massive fan of James Madison 
But if you're not taking part in training sessions, you're not taking part in the first match, you're not taking part in training sessions ahead of the second match, my presumption at this point in time is that he won't be involved against the USA. You've then only got one group game before you're in the knockout stage of a tournament that you're one defeat away from going home. England train again today and they are, of course, in action against the USA tomorrow in their second group game. Follow all the latest developing stories on that on The Athletic and all the other news at this World Cup, including Dominic Fifield pondering whether Olivier Giroud is still underrated, despite equaling Thierry Henry's France goal-scoring record. And there's also the TIFO football analysis of how Japan beat Germany. I'll pass that link on to Rafa Honigstein. You can subscribe for £1 per month for 12 months. It's our best offer of the year by going to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. We'll be back tomorrow. The Athletic.